Okay, today's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emma. Um, my name is Austin Lennox. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and would love to meet you. If I haven't met you yet, um, we could remedy that uh, after the service. But um, I, I had a friend recently who, who pointed something out uh, to, to some of us that and it's something uh, Tim Keller wrote in a book a few years ago. Uh, he's got a, a short book called Hidden Christmas. And he makes this really interesting point uh, in the introduction. He says, you know, Christmas is, is the largest holiday in the West. Uh, but, that, but that every year there are two different Christmases happening simultaneously. Uh, he, he says that on the one hand, you've got uh, the wonderful kind of secular holiday that we all know and love. With, with, and, and it's got many virtues to it, right? Uh, there, there's time with family and good food. Uh, it's gifts. It's the music. It's the smells. All good things. But at the same time, he, he says that underneath all that, every year, uh, there's this holiday intruder. Uh, that comes and kind of gets underneath the generic kind of secular Christmas holiday that we know. And he pictures it like this. He says, imagine that you're in a department store with a child, which many of you have done in the last few weeks. And you're, you're in Target or you're in Costco, and they're, they're blaring Christmas music uh, through the store. And uh, most of it, uh, are songs like Holly Jolly Christmas or Jingle Bells. Uh, b- but every once in a while, uh, one, of, one of the corporate execs, uh, without knowing it, maybe uh, allowed a playlist that has pieces from Handel's Messiah or has you know, hymns like Hark the Herald Angel Sing. And while mom is putting gingerbread kits in the cart, uh, her, her kid is kind of listening to this music uh, coming over the speakers, and it's changing from Jingle Bells to Handel's Messiah. And he hears things, like, like, like if he's listening, if he catches it, he hears things like this. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He gave his back to the smiters, and his cheeks so that they could pluck off his hair. He did not hide his face from the shame and the spitting. And then it goes right into, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. And you're like, 
those are two extremely different things, right? Uh, and then maybe next day here, hark the herald angels sing, and, and it says things like this, that this child was born to give the world a second birth. And so this kid is just sitting there like, who is this talking about? Like, what, what does this mean? This, 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 this person has come to bring peace on earth, to give the world a second birth, but, but he's going to have his beard plucked out? He's, he's going to have to turn his back to the smiters? Like, he's going to get spit on? Like, how, how do these things work together? He's going to be crushed? So there's the secular kind of common Christmas we all experience, and, and then there's the, real, there's the real, there's the gore of Christmas, if you will. And, and the real message of Christmas, Simeon comes to us and he says, look, look here is the message of Christmas. Yes, it is comforting. It, it is consoling. Yes, and he has come to ruin you. Uh, he's come for the fall and for the devastation of many. And so see, in, in our text today, that the image just read for us, you, you see both of those things. You, you see that there is comfort that, that, that Simeon has been waiting on in verse 25. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel to be comforted. But then you also see that there's, there's this conflict. There's this confrontation. Right? The prayer song that Simeon sings, it, it is filled with, with relief and with rest. But then he goes on and starts telling Mary things like, hey, this child is going to be a sign that will be opposed. A sword is going to pierce through your heart. And so how do you reconcile these things? That Christmas is both comforting and consoling, but it is also, it's full of conflict. It's full of confrontation. And so I just want to think about this passage uh, in three ways this morning. What is the consolation of Christmas? What is the comfort that we have? Uh, but then also, what's the conflict? Where's the confrontation that Christmas brings? Uh, and then finally, so what? Right? If all this is true, now what? What do we do? And I, have to, I just have to say this at the, at the front end. I'm really indebted uh, to a guy named Dr. Corey Brock uh, for the work that he's done on this passage. It's really helped me out a lot, so I just need to say that on the front end. All right, so first, the consolation, or the comfort. Uh, all right, so, so biblically, this word consolation that we see in verse 25, this thing that Simeon says that he's waiting for, uh, it's just the word that the New Testament uses for comfort. He, he is waiting for God to comfort his people, Israel. And, and what Simeon is doing, he, he's taking the language uh, out of Isaiah 40, right, which is this, this idea Right, that God comes to Isaiah and says, hey, I need you to comfort my people. I need you to comfort my people Israel because the people that, that heard Isaiah for the first time, they were about to go into this thing that we call Babylonian captivity. They were about to go into exile. This enemy nation was going to rise up and kind of overtake them and capture them and spread them all throughout the known world. They were going to be separated from friends and family. And, and, and it was this big kind of punishment, this big exile from God because they, they broke the Old Testament covenant law. And so anyway, the, the people in Isaiah's time, because that was coming, they needed to be comforted. They needed to be told. God needed to tell them, look, even in the midst of all this that you're about to go through, I, I am still at work. I am still with you. Like you can have comfort in the midst of really deep pain. Well, the people who heard Simeon, right, the people who were around when Simeon was around, they needed to be comforted too. I feel like we've said this you know, many times over the Christmas season, but it has been 500 years since God has spoken anything to Israel through a prophet. 
that's, that's where we are in, in world history. Israel is under the control of Rome. They have no king of their own. It is a hopeless kind of desperate situation. Those people need comfort. They need to be consoled. And this morning, we need comfort. Like, we need to be consoled. And I just want to let you know, like, it's okay to say that. Uh, some people uh, have rightly criticized and critiqued that, that preaching today, that ministry today, that it's become too therapeutic, uh, that the job of the minister has just become to make people feel good, um, to just kind of provide, you know, some therapy to people. And while I get that, like, while I see that, it, it's okay to say that people need comfort. Right? Like, we don't have to be ashamed of the fact that the gospel really does that, that it really brings that. There's this, uh, this old church catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism written in 1563. And the first question of this old document asks this. It says, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Implying that, that, that for the Christian to, to find comfort in the midst of the pain of this life, it, it actually might be a first priority. That it might be one of the most important things that we have in the gospel. And so, see, that's what Simeon's been waiting for. That's what I'm waiting for. I know that's what many of you are waiting for, to just, just some kind of comfort, some kind of consolation in, in the midst of just the, the, the meat of life. And, and what we get in, in our passage is a, is a 40-day-old baby. That's what we get. We get a 40-day-old baby. Well, what is so comforting about this 40-day-old baby? Well, well, there's two things. If you look in verse 32, this is how Simeon says it. He says, this, this child, this baby, he is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so what this means is that the beauty of Jesus is that he is good news for all people, both well-behaved religious insiders and uh, beyond repair, hopeless case outsiders. Uh, that Jesus has come to bring comfort and goodness to both of those types of people. And so, so let's start with the first, right? This idea that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to, to outsiders. Uh, again, the word Gentile, all it means is that they're not Jewish. They're not Israelites. That They don't belong to the nation you know, of God's people. That they're, they're outside the kind of institution, the religious institution of that day. But this idea of, of Jesus being a light of revelation to the Gentiles, again, it comes straight from Isaiah 42. Simeon really knew his Old Testament. Isaiah 42 says this, I will give you as a covenant for the peoples a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind. And then again in Isaiah 49, it says, I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation can reach even to the ends of the earth, not just to Israel, but to all the nations around them. And so maybe you knew this. I did not. That's why we do Christmas lights every year. Uh, that uniquely in the West where we're situated, right, Christmas comes at the time, uh, it comes at the darkest time of the year for us. And so what we do is we say, okay, well, we'll just bathe our homes in lights. And we'll bathe our city in lights. It's why we light these candles, right? It's to say, okay, Jesus really is a light that shines in the midst of the darkness. And so we participate in that. We say, okay, we'll do the same thing. And so the point is to illustrate that Jesus came to bring in outsiders. Like, 
That was always Israel's goal. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see these things that God tells Israel that he's calling them to do. It is because they have been entrusted with like the truth about ultimate reality about who God is and about what he's done and about what he requires of people. And so Israel was supposed to live and love each other in such a way that other nations around them looked at them and said, okay, they've got it going on. Like, they have something we need. Like they, they claim they can have peace with God, forgiveness for all the wrong they've done. And so that's the first half of the consolation of Christmas. It's that it brings outsiders in. That people who have nothing to do with the organized religious institution of the day, they can be saved. They can be brought in. Uh, but what about, what about the second half? What about this idea that Simeon brings up uh, about uh, this, this child bringing glory uh, to Israel, to God's people, to bring glory to the insiders? Well, it, it's this idea that, okay, for the faithful Israelite who has been waiting and just hoping for after 500 years of prophetic silence, that God still might show up, that he might still do something, that, that God sees them still, loves them still, that, that he has not abandoned them or given up on them, right? that, that, that they can be saved from their enemies too, that their sins can be forgiven. Like, I, I want you to imagine a, a, an Israelite teenager on this day in the, in the temple when Simeon you know, kind of presents Jesus like we said, he, he's lived under the control of Rome his whole life. Uh, he's never known a king to sit on the throne of his nation that God promises is going to happen. Um, but he has heard, he's heard the stories. He has read what, what you and I would call the Old Testament. And he has said in his heart, okay, I believe these things. But, but not only do I just believe that they're true or that they happen, like, I, I, like, I love these things. I love this God. Right, and what he's done. And, and I, I am banking my whole existence on this being true, that, that he's going to come, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do for us. Right? In, in the face of such bleak circumstances, I will choose to trust God. I will not give up on him, and I will believe that he hasn't given up on me. And so um, imagine that teenager in the, in the temple, and he starts to hear what, what Simeon is saying. And he starts to lean in, and he starts to listen. Uh, and and we, don't, we don't know a lot about Simeon. We're just told that he's a really righteous and devout man. He's probably pretty old. Um, but, but it says that he, he is speaking in the Spirit. That, it, that in this moment, God is using him as a mouthpiece to, to preach to his people. And as he holds Jesus up, like, like Simba in The Lion King, he says, this, th- this is the Lord's salvation. Right? And for this person to think, what if he's right? Like, wh- what if this is it? <laughs> what if this is how all the Old Testament promises are, are going to come true? What if this is God's big plan, right? That, s- that somehow this baby is going to give us victory over our enemies. Like, that gives strength and confidence and comfort to the insider who's been around it their whole lives. Do you see the good news of Jesus? It's for both. It's for the outsider to be brought in, and it's for the insider to be strengthened, right? To, to know, okay, this is all true. This is really happening. But, but, but even more um, than this, like, w- when you skip down a little bit and, and you get to verse 34, right? It's after Simeon's song is where he starts speaking to Mary directly. And, and he says this. He says that, that this child, that, that th- somehow through this baby, Many will rise 
right, that many in Israel will rise. And that word, to rise, when Simeon says it to me, it, it's a very important Greek word, and I'm going to give it to you. It's anastasis. Anastasis. It's where we get the name Anastasia. And what it means most of the time, almost every time that you find the word anastasis in the Bible, it's going to be translated as resurrection. It's going to be translated as resurrection. And so in verse 34, what Simeon says to Mary is like, yes, he's going to cause many people to fall. He's going to cause many people to fall, but he will cause many people to be raised. And what you start to see is is that before God can raise you up, you have to fall. Before resurrection can happen, you have to die. Before Jesus can raise you up, he will kill you. He will crush you, which is where you get to the confrontation of Christmas. right? And this is where confrontation happens. I put some of these in your bulletin in the front under the reflections where you can read them. But I just want to point out this one. Uh, and it's from Luke 12, 51. This is Jesus talking in the Gospels, okay? He says, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? And all of us who listen to the Christmas hymns are like, well, yeah. <laughs> he says, no, but rather division. Right, and, and in Matthew 10, he goes on to say, look, I, you think I've come to bring peace among people? I, I'm, I'm going to separate families. I'm going to separate parents from children and, 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 and husband from wife. But then you get to John 14, and and you hear Jesus say things like this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Or or this from Matthew 9, where he says, I have come so that you might be at peace with one another. It it seems like there's this schizophrenia in the Gospels, where it says, okay, I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. I've come for the rising of many, but, but I've come for the fall of many. I've come to ruin people. Like, is it peace or a sword? Which is it? And the answer that Simeon gives us in this passage, the point is that Jesus has come into a sin-soaked world to bring peace through conflict. And what Jesus does is he enters into creation, he brings peace, but it is through conflict. Simeon says that he's going to cause many to fall, right? Well, if you read what commentators say about that word, to fall, the, the idea that he's using, it, it's from Isaiah. Surprise, surprise. He is using language from Isaiah 8. And this is the idea that pops up in a number of places throughout the New Testament. And, and this is what it says, talking about Jesus. It says, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling, a rock that will fall you, that you will fall over. For both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble before him. He's going to make many people fall over, essentially. And so so right here, Simeon is using that word that appears in the Old Testament. It's this idea of the stumbling stone. This idea of this this stumbling stone. And I know a pastor, um, he's in Scotland now, and when he was doing a research trip in Germany, uh, in, in Stuttgart, he talks about how he was just walking down uh, the street one day, walking down the sidewalk, headed to a German marketplace to get German brat and a German beer. And, and he looked down, and, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he tripped. And he tripped. And, and he looked down, and, and it was every public official's worst nightmare. He said there's just like this stone in the middle of the sidewalk that almost looked like it had been purposefully raised up like two to three inches uh, out of the ground so that when you're walking, and, and if you're not looking at it, like you, you, you'll trip over it. 
and he, and he did. He tripped. And he turned around, and he, and he bent down, and he looked at it. And, and on this stone that was like two to three inches out of the ground, he, he noticed that there was writing on it, that there were these inscriptions, and that it was in German, but that it was also in Hebrew. And he started to look, and he started to realize, uh, these are names. These are names of human beings. And, and it's because in 1996, the German government started to install all across Germany these stumbling stones. They call them uh, De Stolpersteine, the stumbling stones, uh, De Stolpersteine. And so what they did is they put these stumbling stones outside of homes where they knew that Jews had been ripped out of their homes and murdered and sent off to concentration camps. And I'm, I think they're still doing it today, that they're still installing these 10 by 10 stones so that the public will literally trip over them. And, and he tripped over it, and what he said is, is you, you realize when you trip over something like that, that e- even in, in times of so-called modern progress, modern progress that we're in, where the world seems to be constantly improving, the, the stumbling stones, they wake you up. Right? They confront you with the fact of the evil of humanity. Right? It, it is for the German nation, but, it, but it's also for all of us to remember who, who we are. And, and what we're capable of, right? And so the Stolperstein of the Stumbling Stones, that's a biblical idea, right? They got this idea straight from the Bible. And it's the same message that Simeon is saying about Jesus. He's saying this, this child, he's going to cause many people to fall. He's going to cause many people to stumble. It's because, it's because the very coming of Christ shows us what the Stumbling Stones show uh, to the nation of Germany and to us. And it's, it's that we're evil, it's that we have a great need to be saved. The, the fact that Christmas is the thing, right? The fact that Jesus Christ was born, that God became man, it's judgment. It's judgment on all of us. It, it is God looking at human beings saying, you could never do what I need you to do, right? And so when Jesus enters into the world as the Christmas child, you have to trip over him. You have to do business with him. He, he, he won't just cause many to fall. He will cause everyone to fall. Right? And, that, and that word to fall there, it, it is literally the verb to be ruined, to be devastated, to be destroyed. Like everyone has to trip over Jesus. He, he is a stumbling stone. He is really a rock of offense. And, and let me tell you why. It's because he, he will not be shared. He will not be shared. Jesus is not asking to be liked. He is not asking to be respected. He wants every part of you. He wants every bit of you. If you follow Jesus, if you try to follow Jesus, it will affect every area of your life. I remember being in college and really feeling the freedom. When the gospel was being preached, and I was like, wow, okay, all I have to do is love God and love other people. I can forget about all the rules, right? And then you realize, oh, okay, if that's all you have to do... <laughs> love God and love people, that requires everything. That requires, there's no part of your life that that doesn't touch. It requires everything, every bit of you. And so look, he, he brings conflict and confrontation because he comes into contact with every other thing that you hold dear. And he says, you have to stop being loyal to those things. You have to let them go. I require ultimate allegiance to you. Look, if you have this desire to be thought well of by all people, Jesus is going to destroy you. Because look, if you take him seriously over things that he says about how radically generous we're called to be to the poor, 
There are going to be tons of people in your life who think you're insane. You will lose credibility with them. They will think you're crazy for following Jesus. If you take seriously the claims that Jesus says about sexual purity and about the rights that God has over your body, people will say you're insane. You're crazy. That's ridiculous. Do you see that to deal with the real Christ of the Gospels, it, it will ruin you. It will destroy you. Like He brings confrontation and conflict because when he shows up in the Gospels, his actions are so disruptive. They're so disruptive. He eats with people uh, that the rest of the world thinks are vile and disgusting. Uh, he dines with women who are prostitutes. He comes in physical contact with lepers. He washes people's feet. Right? It's a, he's a king who is acting like a slave. He brings confrontation and he brings conflict because he brings this inevitable separation between people who believe in him and between people who don't even if that's within a family. Jesus is asking for a, a radical, unqualified allegiance, something that even the most esteemed rabbis of his day would not have dreamed of demanding of people. Because he has the audacity to claim that, okay, love of God and love of his kingdom must take, place over pre- it must take precedence over every other human relationship. Every other human relationship. And so, yes, he brings us peace with God. The peace that he brings comes through conflict. It comes through being confronted. Because this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. He has come, in a way, to wage war against us, to wage war against you and against me, against our flesh and against our fallen and sinful desires. But, but Christmas shows us that it is in love. It is in love that God has come to do battle with you. And, and like Mary, it will feel like a sword. It will feel like a sword piercing you to not sit on the throne of your life anymore and to not call on the shots and to not be in control and to not get to dictate what's right or wrong for yourself. Like That will feel like a sword piercing through your heart. But, but what you see is that it is a loving confrontation to actually cut you away from things that are trying to kill you. Right? That, that, that like a surgeon wielding a scalpel, and some of you in here do that for a living, that, that, that like a surgeon wielding a scalpel, like he, he is slowly trying to carve out parts of you that are trying to kill you. But, but Simeon keeps going. He, he, he looks at Mary and he says, okay, a, a sword is going to pierce your heart. Right, that, that somehow this, this baby, right, this Christmas child, that a sword is going to pierce your heart because of him. This baby I'm holding. And it, it's what Simeon has just said. He says he, he's going to be a sign that will be opposed. Okay, so, so on the one hand, you have this mother who is going to watch a nation rise up against her son. Right, that she's going to see her child brutally murdered before her eyes. And, and at that moment, a, a sword is going to pierce through Mary's heart. But there's more than one meaning going on here. Another thing that's going to happen is that Mary, too, is going to struggle with who Jesus is. She's going to struggle with his identity. Like some of the things that he is going to do and say in the Gospels, she, she's going to say, he's insane, and I don't know if I want anything to do with him. She has to stumble over him, too. He is going to make his own, he's going to make Mary trip and fall. You see, Mary too must stumble over him when he comes into the world. 
And so what verses 34 and 35 show you, or 33 and 34, what Simeon says to Mary is that Jesus is the dividing point of human history. That he's the dividing point of all humanity. That that this Jesus, this child that, that, that really is for anyone, to bring in outsiders and to comfort, uh, to bring in outsiders to comfort insiders, he is for everyone, but but he will divide everyone. He's the dividing point of salvation, of how to be right with God. And so, if you, if you think that you are high and mighty, Jesus will cause you to fall. But if you think that you are, if you know that you are weak and lowly, Jesus will cause you to raise up. See, the confrontation that that we had this morning, the the thing that Christmas confronts us with is we have to deal with the real Jesus of the Gospels, the the real Christ of history. He will bring you peace with God. But it is through conflict, and it is through waging war against us, against our sin. And and many people are not going to accept him. Many people are not going to accept him. Okay, all right. What's our response? If all this is true, Jesus can be this consolation, this comfort to people who are both outside and inside, but he's also this this confrontation. He brings conflict within immediate families, within friend groups. What do we do? What's our response? Um, At the end of the 1971 uh, Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka movie, uh, which should have been the end of all Willy Wonka movies, in my humble opinion. I'm I'm open to to hearing arguments for the others, but um, what Willy Wonka does at at the end of this movie is is he he looks at Charlie, Charlie Bucket, worst last name um, in all of literature, and and, and he looks at Charlie Bucket, who, who has made it through this gauntlet, uh, of trials and tests, and, and, he's, and he's come through on the other side, and he's actually going to inherit uh, this chocolate factory from Willy Wonka. And, and, and Willy looks at him, he says, Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. Charlie says, what happened? Willy Wonka says, he lived happily ever after. He lived happily ever after. Okay, so for us this morning, the waiting's over. Christmas has come and gone. Right? We have, we have everything we ever wanted. Now what? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do when the doing of Christmas is over? When Jesus has already come and gone? In, in her book, um, Means of Grace, Fleming Rutledge points out that there are essentially only two ways uh, to respond to Jesus that there are only two types of people with how they relate uh, to Jesus Christ. And it's Herod and it's the wise men. Right? It's Herod and it's the Magi. Uh, that What you see in the Christmas story in Matthew 2, we see that when Herod, uh, this ruler uh, in this area at the time, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he senses his own overthrow in the presence of Jesus. And, and he reacts with homicidal mania. He reacts by saying, I, I have to kill him. And so he literally, he, he sends out a message to kill every boy born in Bethlehem that's, that's two years old and under. He knew better than God's own people that, that if this is true, the reign of a real Savior, that, that means our own reigns are over. Right. He, he knew better than God's own people that, okay, if a Savior is really going to reign, that means my reign's over. And he says, i got to get rid of him. 
I got to kill him. But then before that, you see that there's these wise men coming from the east, coming to seek out uh, this, this king of the Jews, um, right? And when they get to him, they worship him. We're told that when these wise men show up, that they fall down. They literally stumble and trip over the Christmas child, and that they fall down and they worship him. It says that they rejoice with exceeding joy. Like They, too, stumble and fall over Jesus, but, but they stumble into worship. They fall into, into a posture of rejoicing. And so the question, the question for all of us this morning is, who, who are you going to be? Who are we going to be? How, are you, how do you respond when you are confronted with Jesus, the, the child of Christmas? Like, when you have to stumble over him, will you kill him? Will you say, I, I will do everything I can to just ignore him, to sweep him under the rug, to get him, to, I, I have to get away from him. I need him away from me. I do not want anyone to have a say over my life. I have to call the shots. I, I, I cannot be ruled. Or, or will you repent? Will you be like the wise men? Will you be like the magi who it says, it says that they, they worshiped him and then they, and then they returned home a different way? That they returned home a different way. Will you change? Can, can you change? How, how does Simeon respond? What does Simeon do? I, I think Simeon is, is a good example for all of us this morning because the, the response of Simeon is twofold. You see that in verse 28, because, because of this child, this stumbling stone, it says he blesses God. He blesses God. He worships. He gives thanks to the Lord. And then in verse 29, it says, it says he departs in peace. Or that he can depart in peace. And it's all because verse 30, that his eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. His eyeballs have seen the thing that, that is going to save him, that, that God is going to use to make good on all of his promises and to redeem him and to save him, to forgive him. And so the, the message here is like, you can face death. You can face death. You can face death in peace. You can go to the grave confident because you've seen Jesus. You've, you've seen the way that God is going to redeem and save all of humanity. Even in the face of death, even, Christ can make you rise. He, he, he can give you anastasis. He, he will bring you resurrection. See, Jesus, he, he did not just stumble and fall. On, on the cross, he, he was crushed. He was utterly destroyed. But that's only half the story. He, he rose again after that so that those who stumble over him can be raised too. So that those who have been crushed by him can also be raised by him. He, in the cross, he has taken the fall for you. Right? He has taken the fall for those who really deserve it. Right? He, he has been ruined and devastated and destroyed for people who, when they look at their lives, they say, okay, all I've really done is ruin and devastate and destroy and he says, look, if, if you will just fall over me, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll stumble over me, if you'll worship me, I, I will raise you up. I'll raise you up with me. Right? Simeon says that is the consolation. That's the comfort right? for all of us. That Christ has taken the fall for you. If you'll just admit that you need him. If you'll, just admit, if you'll, if you'll let him. And so then what do we do? We bless the Lord like we're about to do. 
uh, and then we depart in peace. So that's the invitation this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, um, we praise you for the good news of the gospel, uh, that you have brought consolation and comfort to people who have been waiting on you for their whole lives, but that you can bring comfort to people who, who even right now are outside of the church, who, who look at you and say, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where I am, that, 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 that you can comfort them, you can save them. And so, God, we also thank you for, for the conflict, that, that you confront us, that in your love, you, you have come to wage war against the worst parts of us, that, that you have come to kill us so that we may live. But, but also that, that you have given us your very life so that we could live. And, and that through your death, we might die and be raised again with you. And so, Father, would, would we be able to bless you? Would we be able to depart in peace? Um, would you change us this morning? God, would we depart home a different way than when we came? Because of this stumbling stone, because of this child. It's in his name we pray. Amen.